to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. Uh, we'll be in Psalm 67, so if you will open your Bibles, uh, it'll also be on the screen if that is more helpful for you. Psalm 67. Let me turn my Bible there. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to be with you guys. Um, Sankey, I've known Sankey for a while now and have prayed for and known about this church. I pray that the Lord continues to bless it. Um, Sujin and I have been friends for a long, long time. I have lots of really funny stories, but I'll hold those for private uh, conversation. But Sujin's been one of my best friends uh, for almost 20 years now and will continue to be. So really thankful for his godliness and um, the, the ministry that God has given this area um, Let's pray together as we jump into Psalm 67. Father, I'm thankful for your word that you've given your people. I pray in this moment, Lord, that you open our hearts and our minds, move us to to know you and to follow you. Or may we just not gather as a church for the sake of gathering. May we not just be um, here because it is out of routine, but we're here because we are changed by the gospel. And we long to grow in that gospel. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So I can still uh, vividly remember I had spent four years at a Bible college, and I knew I wanted to be a missionary. I'll be honest, I didn't know what that really meant, right? I'd met some missionaries. They seemed to be giving their life to something pretty significant. So I wanted to be a part of something like that. Went to school, learned about cross-cultural ministry, learned about different cultures, learned about uh, different languages. And I spent my last semester of college, I moved to Beijing, China, and was working with a veteran missionary, just kind of learning what, what does it mean to be a missionary? He, he was working with the underground church, this church that was persecuted for their faith, so they had to not meet in a, a space like this, but they would meet at night or during the day, and they would move their spaces around for protection. And I got to shadow them. But I'll be honest that engaging in that type of ministry was really a lonely experience. I didn't get to fellowship with a lot of Chinese believers because it wasn't safe. I was with this missionary family, but um, there weren't people my age. There just wasn't a lot of Christian community. But but during that semester, I had a friend invite me to uh, a big international church. So in these really big global cities, there are Christians there. Maybe it's missionaries or businessmen or teachers, and they'll come together and worship in English. And so they invited me to this, this international church in Beijing, and I, I remember I walked through the doors. It's really fascinating. They actually check your passport at the door because you can't enter if you're a, a Chinese citizen because the government doesn't allow. But if you have a foreign passport, you can enter. So there's all these people flooding into this big space. And I was overwhelmed with what I saw because I had been, I had been struggling and I, I didn't know a lot of Christians. I hadn't heard really Christian preaching or, or worship in a long, long time. And I walked into this huge international church and I saw several thousand people who looked different, who were different, yet what rallied them in that place was Jesus. And it was just this overwhelming experience. I was from a small town in East Tennessee. I went to a very insular, bubble-like college. 
And then I go overseas and I feel isolated and I walk into this room and basically what I'm seeing is heaven played out here on earth. And it was really a a significant moment because all those people had one thing in common, just one thing, it was Jesus. It wasn't languages. I remember sitting down and this guy beside me had an earpiece and he was having, the message was being translated into Filipino. He was translating to like a dozen languages. We're all gathered together. We're worshiping Jesus. Um, and really that, that, that Sunday and the Sundays following were really significant for me to the point where it actually helped set the trajectory of my life to experience uh, something like this, to be able to come and talk to you about what does it mean to know Jesus and to make him known? And you see, a lot of that, what I experienced, the church being gathered, the church of different ethnicities and languages was a picture of what God is doing around us. We may not realize it. We wake up on, uh, every day and we look around, we don't think about, but God is gathering his people from every corner of the world into his church. And this, our text this morning, is Psalm 67, it gives us the same vision. It's like when I walked in and I look around and I see God's global people gathered in a global place, worshiping a global God. And that's what Psalm 67 is saying here, that there is a prayer the psalmist is praying. He is praying something that, be warned, is a very dangerous prayer. It's a a dangerous prayer for us because it has personal implications. This is not something that we can read. We're going to read it in just a second and just say like, God, bless other people and send other people, but we're praying, God, bless us. Why? So that we can then bless other people. So um, Psalm 67, if you would stand for the reading of God's word with me. It's on the screen behind me. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face to shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy, for you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, has blessed us. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. You may be seated. So there, there's this psalmist and he's writing this psalm. This, this, the psalms, as you know, because you've been studying them, are songs that God's people, the Israelites, would sing. They're singing in different environments. Whether they're, they're walking up to Jerusalem and they're singing the song in procession or it's a song of repentance or lament. And this is a song of, of a foreshadowing or a looking forward. You see, verses one and two would be really familiar to the readers of the day. If they would have been reading or singing this song, the language of blessing here, look back in verse one. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face to shine upon us. This language is really familiar because it's pointing back to a foundational promise among God's people. Look in Genesis 12, one through three. Go out from your land and your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God takes this this non-follower of God, right? He's a pagan 
Abram, he turns him into, he invites him to follow him. He follows the, the, the God of Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. And he gives him this promise. I'm gonna give you a great people, even though you have no children. I'm gonna give you a great land, even though you're a nomad. And I'm gonna use you to bless all the peoples of the earth. Now, he wouldn't have fully understood this, but with Abraham began the people of Israel. So this foundational promise was the beginning of Israel. I will make of you a great people. I will give you a great land, the nation of Israel. But then it's also, I'm gonna use you as a conduit of blessing. So when the psalmist writes this, and when people are singing this, and they're thinking, of, of, they're singing this song, they're thinking back to this foundational promise in Genesis 1 through 3. And what we know as believers in the New Testament, when we look back on the Old Testament, this is a foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus. Those last few verses. Verse 7, I will bless you and all that the ends of the earth will fear you. All of this, in Genesis 3 and here, and then we're going to look at another passage. This is a, a looking forward, a foreshadowing, a coming of the promised Savior. Now, notice how both the Genesis passage and Psalm 67 are littered with blessing language. Abraham is given this promise, and he continues that. Um, we're reminded again in number 6, verse 22. Just kind of, I want to give you an understanding of this blessing language, how significant it is in the Old Testament. The Lord spoke to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. You shall say to them, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. In this way, they will pronounce my name over the Israelites and I will bless them. This is a, this is a really significant uh, passage uh, for the Israelites as well. It's this blessing of God. So what, Psalm, so what uh, Psalm 67 does, it ties Genesis 12 and number six, it ties it together into this dangerous prayer. Here it is. God bless us so that we can bless the nations of the earth. Yes, somehow I think as believers, just like the Israelites, they misunderstood God's blessing, right? We were blessed by the Lord and we receive it and then we store it away. That's what the Israelites did. Oh, we are God's people. We are the favorite people. And then they turn this like dark eye to the nations around them. Yet what God says from the very beginning, God's people were to receive the blessing and pass that blessing on to others. This Psalm is both a reminder and a challenge, the challenge to bless the nations with the knowledge of God. It's through Israel's life and witness that those around them would know all the nations around them all those, those dark and oppressive nations that we read about in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was intended to be a light, a witness to those people. So when we read Psalm 67, we need to remember how dangerous this prayer was. This was not just a passing song that the Israelites would have sung. It was a challenge to them. And it's not a, a simply a prayer of blessing for us either. It's a prayer that calls us to service. It's a prayer that calls us to sacrifice. God is not simply pouring out his love and blessing on us for our sake, but for the sake of all those around us. So I just kind of unpacked really quickly Psalm 67. I want to spend most of my time talking about the implications of this passage. If this is true, if this is true, look back in verse one, when the psalmist says, may God be gracious to us and bless us, may he make his face to shine upon us. 
So it's, it is material blessing because the nation of Israel experienced that, but it's his presence, right? His face to shine upon us. If we experience all these things, and for us in Christ Jesus, why? Verse two, so that. It's like a turn in the story. We receive these things so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. God's people, both the Israelites then and the church now, we receive a knowledge and the presence of God so that we can give it away. So that we can give it away. Friends, you have been blessed to bless others. This is such a powerful passage in the life of a believer. God is reminding us his blessings are not to be hoarded, but to be freely distributed. So I am, uh, my wife and I are proud to be Louvillians. That's how you say it, Louvillians. You say it, Louisville. You just like drag it out, you know? That's how you know if you're a local. Um, so we're proud to be from Louisville. And uh, there's lots of things to be proud of. Some of them not so be proud of. You know, we have things like bourbon and horse racing. Not always the, most thing, the, the best things to be proud of. But we have a lot of beautiful architecture and buildings. So I want to show you this one. This is called the Crescent Hill Reservoir. Oh, sorry. Slide through a couple more. There you go. The Crescent Hill Reservoir, that beautiful building. And it's this huge uh, reservoir that holds this water. Um, it's been there for over 100 years. And this, this man-made reservoir serves one purpose. It's a place where water's collected and stored for future use. So if a drought comes, if the river dries up, whatever it might be, we would have water as a city that we could use for the future. Actually, when they built it in the 1880s, the reservoir could supply the whole city with two weeks of backup water. That's really significant. It's a beautiful place. People go and like walk around. It's like a track now. Um, but here's the deal. When it comes to God's blessings, especially salvation, we are called to be not a reservoir, but a river. We don't store up God's blessing in case we need it later. Oh, this is for me and mine. No, we are a river. You see, what a river does is it's a movement. It's a force of God. Rivers literally move earth and rock and land. It's not something you can slow down. I mean, I guess you could build a dam, but my analogy breaks down at that point. So it's something that would be really hard to slow down, right? The, the, the mission of God, the life that God has called us to is not to receive and to store, but it's to jump in, right? You jump in the river of God and it takes you where it will. We don't just hoard God's blessings and save them up. We pour them out on the lives of others. I love how John Piper puts this, and he wrote this book called Let the Nations Be Glad. If you want a kind of primer on global missions, it's a really helpful one. Here's what he says. If God wants his goods to get to the nations, then he will fill the truck that's driving toward the nations. He will bless the church that is pouring itself out for the unreached peoples of the world. And this blessing is not payment for a service rendered. It's, not, it's a power and a joy for a mission to accomplish. When we move toward the unreached peoples, we are not earning God's blessings. We are leaping into the river of blessing that is already flowing to the nations. That river analogy is God's blessing that's moving to his people. I love to think about that. So I speak in a lot of churches and talk to a lot of people who have received God's blessings and it's a struggle. We can just like own that. It is a struggle to live a life on mission or to use our resources for the mission of God. But the reality is all of us, unless you're an ethnic Jew, which I don't think anybody is here, you are the nations. You are the Gentiles. And someone 
use their life, their time, their schedule, and their resources to bring the gospel to somebody who brought the gospel to you. So when the passage in, in, in Psalm 67 is like, Lord, may you use us, the nation of Israel, to bless the nations, we are the recipients of that blessing. And as we receive that blessing, we push that blessing out to others. Uh, the, the conduit that carries electricity onward future. God is not blessing us for something we have done. He's not blessing this church or your life because you have done, you have done or are something special. He is using you. He is empowering you. He is changing you. And he is fueling you for the mission at hand. Yes, you are special in, in the sense that Jesus gave his life for you, but he's called you into a family and into a mission. He's called us to use our life well. His river of blessing is now being poured out on this city, right? This neighborhood needs sojourn. It needs the gospel. And you're the conduit of blessing to the neighbors and to the community. And then this church, as it grows, needs to plant other churches in the city. And there are people in this church that need to root their lives and plant their lives in other places so that people can know who Jesus are. So we need to ask ourselves, what does this passage mean for me personally? I'm going to give you uh, four implications or four applications of this passage. Number one, we bless others when we use our money, our time, and our words to make Jesus known. You and I have been blessed beyond measure. Uh, Many of us have health. We have education. We have relationships. We have money. We have houses. We have children. You can name the, the the outward blessings we've experienced, not only the inward blessings that we have experienced. God has blessed us and wants to use us. So be generous, show grace to others, open your home to those in need, give your money away, live a life of blessing to those around you. However, you think about all those many things, the way you have been blessed and experienced blessing. The primary way that you can bless the nations, that you can bless your neighbors is to open your mouth and declare the gospel. Now, I know that is that can be a scary thing. Maybe for you guys, you're like, no, I share the gospel all the time. Most believers, it is a really scary thing. For me, it is a difficult thing. But we overcomplicate what it means to make Jesus known. Um, I was thinking about that this week. I was in a coffee shop in Louisville, working on a sermon, and I met this guy, and we had this really interesting interaction. He looked at my book. I was reading a commentary on the book of John. He was like, what are you reading? I was like, oh, it's a commentary on the book of John. And his eyes got really big. And he was like, oh. and he reached into his bag. I was like, oh, what's this dude going to pull out of his bag? He pulls something out of his bag and it's a Bible. And he leans in. He's like, I'm a Christian too. Now I look around like half of the coffee shop is reading a Bible. I was like, okay, man. But he said it as if we were the only two Christians in the world. And, and the reason I share that story is all that my friend Joel did was open his mouth and to talk about how Jesus has changed his life. He spent 30 minutes in tears. He had just become a believer. He had money. He had relationship. He had everything you could imagine you would want in life. And it felt pitiful to him. Yet when he met Jesus, he says, I open the Bible every day and I, I just cry. Then he started crying. And I was like, oh man. And it was such a challenge to me because all he did was he just told me what Jesus was doing in his life. Friends, just tell people what Jesus is doing in your life. Just sit with the neighbor, sit with a family member, sit with a coworker, and just open your mouth and declare the glories of what Jesus is doing in your life. And you do that enough, and people are going to take notice, and people are going to ask questions, and you're going to be, be sharing the gospel. So the primary way we, we bless the people around us is to open our mouth 
and to tell people about, about Jesus. It's our greatest means of blessing those around us. So when we think about this, I know, like I said, it could be a scary thought, but I think one thing to, to consider is that um, when we come to Jesus, we're literally made to do things like this. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. You, you have an opportunity to share, share the gospel and maybe you get nervous. You don't know what to do. You don't know what to say, but you just kind of like jump in with both feet and you do the best you can. And maybe the person doesn't respond well, but at the end you're like, I feel good. That felt right. That, like there's joy in the obedience of just sharing who Jesus is. And, and this, here's why. Because the reality is mission is more than activity. It's more than knocking on a door every Thursday. It's more than handing out a track. It's even more than just like mustering up courage. Making Jesus known is who we were created to be. We can't experience the life and the joy that Jesus wants for us until we live a life on mission. I love um, the book of John. And this is after Jesus is resurrected and the disciples are locked in a room. They're afraid. And Jesus moves toward them in their fear. And here's what he writes and here's what John writes in verse 19. When it was evening that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw Jesus. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So these men who abandoned Jesus, that's literally what they did. They like ran away. They see him crucified on the cross. They gather together. They're afraid for their own lives. They feel a lot of guilt and shame. And Jesus magically moves through a wall. It would have been really interesting how he got in this locked room. Um, so they're probably spooked. <laughs> and he says, peace be with you. Like, no need to fear. He says it twice, actually. Peace be so he is like moving toward their fear. But then what does he say? What he says next, the first moment he sees his disciples is really significant. He says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. These disciples who had a lot to be ashamed of, they had a lot to um, ask forgiveness of. And here what we see is that the disciples of Jesus, they're being called to be witnesses to the world. The same way he said, as the Father sent me, as the Father sent Jesus, I am also sending you. What does that mean? There's so much that we could look at there. The Jesus, uh, the eternal Jesus that always existed, that created the world, he took on flesh, he incarnated into the world. He lived this perfect life on mission. He was sent. And that same way, that sending as the Father sent the Son, as the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit into the world. And then as that triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, as they send the church into the world on mission. So when we live on mission, when we reach out and we help the poor, when we show a kind word in, in the uh, reflection of the gospel, when we declare the truth, whether it be the full gospel or just the truths of God to others, we are literally living out the life of Jesus. We are sent as he is sent. Here's my point. Mission is more than activity. It's more than something you do. Mission is who you were made to be. It's who we're made to be. John 17, 8 says the same thing. Jesus says, I sent you into the world, so, I have, so as I have sent you, I'm sorry, <clears throat> as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So he's talking to the Father as he prays. As I have been sent, Father, I'm now sending them into the world. 
So this is just important. As you think about being a church plant, a church plant, what's one of the primary things that you should be doing? You should be sharing the gospel with your neighbors. We want people to come to faith, be changed by the gospel. It's more than just mustering up courage. It's more than just activity. You're living out who you're made to be. Take courage. Being sent out with the gospel is not an option for believers. It's an invitation to experience. I'm not here to give you a guilt trip. Sankey's not paying me. Hey, encourage our people to share the gospel. I'm coming here and I'm telling you about the good life. If you want to experience joy in this life, posture your life and your language so that people can can meet Jesus. And it is that. It's, It's making decisions so that people can know who Jesus is, both where you are, your neighborhood, your coworkers, your community, and also where, where Jesus is not. So first of all, sharing Jesus where you live, work, and play. Think about that. How do we live on mission? How can you make Jesus known where you live in your community, where you work among your coworkers, and where you play, be it sports or the gym or other things, where you live, work, and play? Are you a school teacher? You are a sent one. You have been sent with the gospel to your coworkers and to your students. Are you a student? You can live on mission with those that you sit next to, that you eat in the cafeteria with, the sports teams you play on. Mission is not just for adults. It's for, for everybody who follows Jesus. Do your kids play soccer? Or are they in a sports league? You have the opportunity to rub shoulders weekly, multiple times a week with people who need Jesus. My guess is you probably live in some kind of neighborhood, right? Be it an apartment complex or an actual neighborhood. That is the place that God has put you for a reason. Your mission field is the place where you put your feet every day. You roll out of bed, you set your feet on the ground. Where you set your feet is the mission that God has given you. So no matter where you lay your head or what street you walk down, wherever you go, the place you call home is the place you're called to live on mission. So friends, if you surround yourself with non-Christians, if you love them deeply, if you share Jesus with them, if you do those things, if you posture your life that way, you will be living a life on mission. Don't overcomplicate sharing Jesus. It's not that hard. I'm not saying it doesn't require sacrifice. It doesn't require choices. It doesn't require you to set things down. But to, to make Jesus known is some simple decisions and then moving towards obedience. But we're, we're not just called to make Jesus known where we are. We're called to make Jesus known where we're not. So it's this community. It's the community you live. It's your workplace. But it's also onward to the nations. Now, most people aren't called to sell their house, pull their children out of school, and move across the world. Some are. Maybe you are. I don't know what the Spirit's doing in your life. But some are called to, to make that change. It's to go where the gospel's not. And here's why. Uh, just this year, or late last year, the world population moved to 8 billion. So 8 billion. Uh, mathematicians and statisticians say it, uh, the human mind can't understand a number like that. Like you can't physically, mentally understand what 8 billion people is. It's just too big. So let me try to break it down this way. Let's, um, there are 60 seconds in a minute. We all know that. So uh, that's a concept I think we can get around. So if I count one, two, three, four, five, five seconds, right? If we continue to do that, we continue to count and every second was a person, how long do you think it would be to get to eight billion people? Any guesses? Asia, do you have a guess back there? 
If you counted a second at a time and you continue without sleeping or with eating to get to 8 billion people, it would take 254 years. This world is huge, massive, so big, it's hard for us to comprehend. And the mission of God is big. But think about that, eight, eight billion people, they roughly estimate there are about 550 million evangelical Christians. I know that's a tricky word. When I say evangelical, I mean people who believe the Bible, who believe in sharing the gospel. Um, there are about 550 million of those. Now, we don't, that's a hard stat to think about. We don't know all that God's doing in the world. There are people out there who wouldn't be in this number who follow Jesus. But just bear with me. If we count just evangelical Christians, 550 million, that's about just under 8% of the world's population. That means there are 92% of the world doesn't follow Jesus. Now, some of those are your coworkers, your family members. Some of those are people who have literally never heard the name of Jesus. Um, there are places that we call, in, in missions, we call least reached. And what we mean by that is they have little to no access to the gospel. So your neighbor, if they wanted to find out who Jesus was, they could go to the Christian bookstore. I'm sure there's one in Tulsa. They could go to a church, good church, bad church, whatever. There is a church they could go to, or they could grab a Christian. But there are places in the world that if you wanted to read the Bible, it's not in your language. If you wanted to meet a Christian, you couldn't because there's none in your city. If you wanted to go to church, you couldn't because there's not a church in your city. There are places like that. And for that, the Bible calls us to cross language and barriers to, to make disciples. And that's why churches like Sojourn exist. That's why churches like my Sojourn exist. It God blesses us so that we can give our people, we send people, and we can give our money, uh, we give our resources so that others can make Jesus known. And the call for a believer is to be active in that. How can you position your life to be active in the mission of God where you live and where you don't live, where the gospel is in Tulsa and where it's not? Abu Dhabi, Saudi Arabia, North Korea. How can you be a part of the mission of God that reaches those 8 billion people? Final implication, uh, implication or application number four, God will accomplish his mission. This final implication is that God is the one who will accomplish his mission. If we look uh, back at verses 50 or verses five and seven, these verses are a little different. Let me read those to you. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has produced the harvest. God, our God, blesses us. God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. You see, the first part of the passage, the, the psalmist is saying, God bless us. It's this anticipation. It's this longing. We want to experience your blessing. Why? So that we can pass it on to others. But starting in verse five, his tone changes. He's like, you will bless us and the ends of the earth will know you. It is a belief. Why? Because God has promised to finish what he starts. God has sent a savior into the world. He created a church, you and I. We're a church that lives on mission. And there is a day coming where evangelism ends where mission ends. Why? Because his people will gather to him for all of eternity and will worship him. This is a prayer of belief that God will make happen what he promised. Paul agrees with this. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18. God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to itself, 
no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We are the church. He uses this reconciliation language. People are apart from God. We bring reconciliation when we declare the gospel. We are his message bearers. We are his ambassadors. What the psalmist is longing for in Psalm 67, what Paul identifies in 2 Corinthians is what is happening today. God is making his name known and he is doing it through us. He's doing it through us. The limited, broken, frail church, sinful church. He's using to declare the gospel to the nations. He has changed. There are things happening around the world that we cannot understand. I love it. Because I live in the world of missions, um, I hear stories that, that don't spread, right? Like I have a friend who lives in Ethiopia and he's working in the mountains of Ethiopia and there are thousands upon thousands of people who are coming to faith. These farmers and these shop owners, they're hearing the gospel and they're just telling their friends and their family and these small house churches are being planted all over the place. This movement is happening. You'll never read about it on any news channel you probably will never hear about it because it's not being published about. God is doing things in the shadows and the nooks and crannies of his kingdom. When we get to heaven, we're going to hear these beautiful stories. And how is he doing? He's using his church, his frail, his limited church. And you see, what I experienced that day in Beijing, dozens of nations gathering together to worship in one place was just a foretaste of our future eternity. There is a day coming when people from every nation, language, tribe, and tongue on earth will stand before the lamb for all of eternity and they will cry, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. And you and I, we are a part of that, but also are people who are different skin colors and languages and tribes. And it's this beautiful meshing of God's kingdom. We are a part of that. God is accomplishing his mission by his grace and he wants to use you. The invitation is to you not to someone else, although yes, someone else too, but also to you. Will you join him on his mission? I wanna give you two practical challenges for you to consider. One is for you and one's for this church. Number one, would you consider changing one thing in your life so that you can be a blessing to others? Change something about your life so that you can bless others and be creative. Think about this. Just come before the Lord, what could I change in my life? that would allow me to posture myself to make Jesus known or to be a blessing to others? How about you open your home for meals with a non-Christian, right? Create a space in your week. Hey, Wednesday night, we're not gonna do anything. We're not gonna have any activities. And we're gonna pray that the Lord would bring non-believers in our life so we can invite them over for dinner. You know what a meal does? It, it pulls down barriers. If you open your table and you feed people what you have, doesn't have to be fancy, and then you just ask them about their story, people will just vomit up their life <laughs> because they wanna share, they wanna live life. They're built for community. And if you open their home and you say, hey, we love you, we wanna share a meal with you, tell us about yourself. Man, you'll be living on mission. Create space in your life. Or what if you said no to something so that you could say yes to, to making space with friends and neighbors? Or what about this? What if you created a prayer list of three to five people who you know don't follow Jesus and you just commit to pray for them until they come to Jesus. I had a friend in college. She had a little prayer list that she put in a um, Ziploc bag and she put it on her shower. So every day she was taking a shower, she would pray for those people. Um, and they were non-believers, her college friends. And every single person came to faith. 
Now, it wasn't because of her, but she had faith to step out and say, Jesus, I'm going to pray every day that you will work in these people's lives. And God did a powerful thing. Pray for the people around you. Or what if you created space in your budget to give to missions or to give to a ministry that is doing good work among the broken, the marginalized, the poor, or among the nations? Make a change and see God move in a powerful way. So for this church, that's personally, for this church, I want to ask you a question. How can this church, how can our church be a church committed to blessing others? How can you give yourselves, your activities, and your budget so that your neighbors and the nations can know? It doesn't have to be radical, but you're just creating space so that you can be a church of blessing. So friends, just I, I want this to simmer this week, right? Just let Psalm 67 simmer in your heart and just dwell on that main idea. God has blessed us. We've received God's blessing. He's he saved us through the cross and he is blessing in this, in this life. Why? So that we can be a conduit, so that we can be a messenger, so that we can give out the blessings that we've been given. We have been blessed so much in this life. Let's pass that blessing on to others. Let's pray together and then we're gonna take communion. Father, I'm deeply thankful for the word that you have given to us. Lord, it just, it strikes me, it moves me to know that for thousands and thousands of years, your people have been singing this song to you. Bless us, bless us, bless us, Lord, so that we may be a blessing to others. May that message that you gave to the Israelites be a message for the church today. Lord, may you bless this church. May it grow in number. May it grow in impact. May it grow in influence so that they can be a blessing of the gospel to others, to the neighbors and to the nations. Lord, and you, may you bless the hearers today. May you fill up their life with gospel truth. May you change their lives so that they can spread that, they can pass that, they can pour that out to others. We ask all these things. It's in your name we pray. Amen.